All right, the test came back. It's terminal imagination. In other words, welcome to No Cure for Curiosity number four. We are three creative pals spinning ideas and observations about the creative process as we commit to keeping that spark firing our art and ideas. I'm Dan Chichester. My hat sometimes says writer or comic book creator or creative director. And I'm joined by two other hybrids, Jeff. Thank you. Um, I'm in a similar boat. You know, I work in advertising for almost 30 years now. Uh, have worn the hat of creative director for, I don't know, it seems like over 18 years maybe. Um, but also put my hand into a lot of other creative endeavors outside of, uh, out of work, um, doing music and photography and other cool things. Um, always keeping myself fresh and busy. Mr. Mark? Well, I'm a writer and a filmmaker. I'm going to keep it short and sweet, but that's what I do. Freelance writer and filmmaker. Wow, that sounds very, uh, I don't know, just very artistic when you put it that way in such a solid, solid way, you know. It's very definitive. No, because this is our fourth episode, so I assume that. I'm sure all, 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 of, our, all of our many listeners getting it out there. Well, every episode is a theme, and it's a miracle if we stick to it, but this time out, it's going to be what does it take to be a great creative leader? And I have got so many great questions uh, for you guys. So I'm going to put this out there. Whoever wants to grab it, you know, why don't you guys run with this? As a creative leader, you have to create conditions for creativity. What do you think those are? Good question. Um, I have a thought on that. So I'm going to take that kind of literally. So um, I'm not a big fan of currently the way that um, I think offices are set up, at least in advertising. They've got a lot of open spaces these days, and I do not feel that they're really the best conditions to come up with creative ideas. There's a lot of distractions and lack of focus and lots of areas where you can just kind of go off on a wild path. So I think one of the things that I found, uh, you know, in working with creative teams is, you know, in setting up the best conditions, literally, is to find out what's the best environment that they work best in to come up with ideas and then set themselves, set them up for success. I don't think sitting at a cubicle or a desk in an open space is that. So a lot of times reserve some conference room space or quiet space or coffee shop space, whatever, whatever they work helps them to work best. I love that. I actually, you, you jumped ahead to like a question I had later, but I'll build on it right now. When you talk about like creative locations, you definitely think different if you're in a conference room versus, you know, you're in an animation art gallery or something like that. What's your favorite place, Jeff? Do you have like a place that really gets you or you've seen get get teams really jazzed? I have a couple. So um, traditionally, I know Mark and I have partnered for years and years on, on coming up with ideas. And Dan, we have too. I generally tend to find leaving the office altogether uh, and going to a coffee shop or someplace where you can comfortably hang out for a while. Um, just being in a setting that's A, a little different, and B, is surrounded with kind of interesting situations that may kind of play into some ideas or inspire sperm in the spur of the moment ideas um, can be kind of interesting. Um, So that's one of the, one of my favorites. The second that I've come to kind of um, appreciate recently and um, normally has been kind of been almost a no fly zone is working remotely. In other words, I'm working with um, other creatives, not face to face Mm -hmm. um, with a couple of virtual agencies and, uh, you know, I myself have been like, how could that actually work? But uh, if you're working with seasoned creative professionals who have been in this business for a while and, and know how to work, working remotely and not face-to-face over the phone, through chat, throwing things through instant messaging, swipe files, whatever it might be, I have not seen much of a difference in, in there being face-to-face or not. You know, fire up anything, video chat, whatever it is. 
I've done it and it's proven itself. So that's another option, a new one that I've explored and I kind of like it. What about you, Dan? You've been, uh, you've been in that top position for years. Oh yes. Oh yes. So top. So top. <laughs> you mean back to the conditions for creativity? Yeah, what, or? what kind of conditions? Right. I've been in those conditions right. as I've worked for you. So I'd like to hear <laughs> the formal explanation. I think the conditions are, you know, I think they're about, about trust and I think they're about setting expectations, you know, and supporting the conditions for people to actually get to the right place. I've never looked at it about my creativity. I've looked at it about the team's creativity. So I find the, the conditions for creativity when I've found it successful is what are the, what's the project we're getting into? What do I expect? What is the, what does the project expect? How much can you lay out there in advance and really establish this is what we're trying to to achieve? And then can I create a a buffer zone that allows the team to then get there and do that? Not that they are they are shielded or they are you know they need to be treated with kind of a kid gloves, but that it allows them to have the ability to focus on actually being creative and not um, being in a position where they're being overload it with stupid <laughs> or, or um, uh, the stupid or too many meetings or too many distractions uh, so that they can focus on doing that work. Now, that also means that they have to feel that they've got a real understanding and that they're taking ownership of it. But that's, that's, the, kind of, that's the kind of world I've tried to, try to make happen. Yeah, just to add on that, mm-hmm. uh, Dan, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and broadening the definition a little bit, I was obviously jumping into kind of more of a literal answer. Sure. But I think, you know, grounding the creatives, creative groups, creative teams on, on what they're doing, the assignment that they have at hand, I think they need to start off with a very direct answer as to why it is that they're doing what they're doing. And I feel really strongly that, that, that that's a thing that needs to be, I think, crystallized um, so that when they're going off and they're coming up with ideas, they've got something that they're constantly being able to point back to. It's their North Star, it's their focus point. Um, that they know the, what the creative challenge is and it's defined really clearly and they go back to it. Mark, you kind of punted it back to, to me. What are the conditions that, you know, and I know you're going to bounce it and say you're not a creative leader or, or such, you know, you've been doing freelance, you know, for a long time, but you know, the way you approach things, the way you bring forward, uh, you definitely are a, a leader, even when you're, you're playing uh, at the ground level. Uh, what do you try to try to create? Because I've seen you mentor people. I've seen you take them through, um, you know, what, what goes on, whether that's a direct partner or people who are kind of in your, your orbit. So, so a lot of my uh, leadership mm-hmm. today is on the film side. And those are, especially for festivals, you know, there's no client other than us ourselves. Um, but I, I use the same principle there that I did when I was creative directing when I was down at Rosetta and I was doing contract creative or Wonderman, and and maybe because I was freelance creative, um, I, I have the same philosophy that an old baseball manager, Sparky Anderson, used to have, where he said, you know, I spend all spring training seeing who the best are. I pick the best players on the team, and when it comes to regular season and the game start, I roll out the bats and balls and I sit back, and and that's kind of what I felt I needed to do, which is, if Jeff and I, and, you know, we've worked, I've worked for Jeff, Jeff's worked for me. Um, so if, if, if I brought him in on one of my creative projects or other people like James Murphy or whoever, I had such respect for what they did. 
I like how you're name dropping people so we can like build our audience, right? You know that. Yeah, exactly. Now Murphy has to listen. <laughs> Who else? I'll throw Fred <laughs> Lee in there, and that gets we'll get we'll triple our audience. But I I I always felt, especially on the art side, I'm not an art director, um, and so if I have people I respect and they they have the passion and feel strongly about something, I'm going to generally let them go with it, and they know that, and so therefore. The condition is if you put it out there, you're going to show it and you're going to live with it and I'll back you, but you're the art director or you're the illustrator or you are the, even the writer if, if someone's working for me and, um, and you're going to be up there up front. Now, that's always qualified by my one, one hard rule, which is I don't always know what's good, but I know it's bad. And um, I have a gut. I don't always know that, well, Jeff, this design looks great to me, but I don't know if it's the right thing. I still would let that go. But if, if Jeff does something that I, or he misses a, a point on the advertising side or the business side, and he misses something, then I'm going to say, ooh, they say we can't use that color. or Ooh, we can't do this. But most times, if I don't have a gut feel that something's wrong, I'm letting it go. And the same, the same thing with filmmaking, which we have a little more luxury in, in a sense because there's no client. But if somebody's doing the role, I don't care if they've never done it before. If they've learned it and they've taken it on, uh, unless they screw it up entirely, I'm going to say, all right, you're, you're holding the camera. What kind of angle do you like? And I find that that's, that's worked for me because, you know, I feel like the people that I work with just um, uh, really, really take ownership. And they could be wrong sometimes, but I'd, I'd rather they're wrong instead of me having to babysit. Sounds like we got some good uh, ways to kind of create those conditions. What are the creative leadership approaches to avoid, whether things that have been forced on you or maybe you've had a stumble and you've realized after the fact, I don't want, I don't want to go back there anymore. I'll jump on that because I'm always on the other side of it as the freelance. And this is a bigger question for you guys too, is like knowing where it is, where that stake in the ground is as far as the mm-hmm. creative goes. And again, now we're on the business side of creative. So if the assignment is to do X, is to make a, you know, the, the, a gorgeous blue sky and, you know, whatever, a drone flying in it, and, and that's the assignment. The problem that, that I see is that even if that's the assignment, that may change 20 times. And if, if, if you're the creative leader on the project, there's nothing worse. And I know we're all forced to do it, but there's nothing worse than mo- that, than, than allowing that goal to change 50 times well but sometimes the goals do change and and that's out of your control depending on the conditions i think as a creative leader your job then is to is to redefine what what it is okay the goal has changed but you keep the team oriented toward what the toward what that end purpose is because you can't sometimes just go back to well this was this was our artistic true. It depends. It's a, I'm talking more probably in a business-oriented situation as opposed to we are creating something. In maybe your case, Mark, if you're creating a film for yourself uh, or uh, that has a very particular artistic point of view and somebody tries to skew that away or you may even find yourself losing sight of the goal, you can pull it back. Whereas within the context of maybe a, a corporate assignment, whether it's an agency or something else, that may change. I mean, I've had projects that have changed day by day uh, drastically in terms of time frame and and the ability of the resources we have to do certain things. But that's the, the that's 
I guess that's if you're asking from conditions as a as somebody who's mm-hmm. working on the project that that are just you know poison. That's it. I mean, and I'm not saying there's an easy answer there, but when you're a creative leader, and I'll throw the question back sure. to you two because you've done, as I say, more recently. Now I'll jump on it because see now when I was creative directing, I was doing a contract. And Dan and you and I talked about this earlier. I turned mm-hmm. down a full time job because I was so scared of the players at this particular agency. And, and what the- what is a full time job anyway? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this is true. I know the illusion, right? I know, but that was that was my reminder that whatever's here is not going to be permanent. And I I actually walked into a job saying I'm either going to get fired or everybody's going to have to like conform. That was right when digital was starting to take off versus direct, you know, direct mail and stuff. But, you know, there, there were so many fiefdoms and stuff. And I remember that was the one time I was on, on the mm-hmm. creative leader role. And you guys fought that battle a lot more than I did. But I realized I have to, yes, there are the times when uh, a marketing uh, assignment changes or something, uh, you know, from a, from a re- feedback comes in and something changes that's crucial that needs to be followed. But we all know there are times when somebody's, you know, the boss who's not supposed to be in creative says, no, I don't like blue or something like that. And those are the changes where if you're working on the account and your creative leader says, hey, we can't use blue because, you know, somebody, like, there's a time when you have to fight for your people and there's a time when you have to acquiesce. And that's the balance that I'll throw back to you two guys because that's a brutally hard balance to find and there's yeah. no right or wrong answer. I, I have a couple of thoughts on that. Um, I honestly, I try and avoid that battle being a hard battle to fight in the sense that I feel, and this gets into things to avoid as a, uh, a creative leader, is accepting or kicking off a project without well-defined, I think, parameters, being a strategic point of view and certainly some kind of branding or brand guidelines and all, those, all the kind of information you need to surround yourself to make informed decisions. I think if you, you kind of accept the project without all those things kind of in place or most of those things in place, that's where you get into those situations where someone says, I don't like blue. And you can't defend it with, a, well, actually, it's going to be blue because, and you have a reason why that you can point back to, or it's going to be pink or whatever the color is. You know, I think without some of those things in place, that's where you get yourself into trouble or gray areas. And there's certainly things that are subjective, but I think by having those or as many of those things defined in a project uh, keeps you keeps you in a decent place to be able to focus on the things that really matter and kind of avoid the swirl as we as I, I like to refer to it mm-hmm. the other thing I just wanted to get into a little bit just in, in my own thoughts and, and kind of being in this world for so long and seeing different creative leadership styles uh, one of the ones that makes me nuts and I still don't understand why it still exists is creative <laughs> leaders who are there to tell you what to do or control you it makes me crazy. I'm right. I'm right here, Jeff. As a, I'm, I'm on. I'm on the podcast. Here. <laughs> As opposed to people like Dan, who like to come in and inspire things that uh, are working for him, and I like to do the same thing. I think you get great work out of it. People take mm-hmm. ownership of it. As soon as you start telling creators what to do, then they keep on coming back to you and saying, "Is this good? Is this good? What do you think of this? Is this good?" As opposed mm-hmm. to, "Here's what I've done, and here's why." Dan. Take it away. <laughs> well, no, there's the person who's the demander, right? Yeah. Who comes in and just sets, you know, sets, I want this. And it's almost, there's a very micromanaged, you know, sort of that. There's people who are relatively, you know, self-assured in a way, 
but is there a place for what I was calling, is there a mad genius, like the brave heart, the brave heart speech of creativity? You know, are there William Wallace types who I've never had one. I've never had a situation where somebody's coming and given like such an inspiring vision and such an inspiring like speech. Does that, does that work? And, and if that works, have you seen examples of that? I've only seen it from you, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> You're not getting paid for this, Jeff. It's not a, you know, it's not gonna, there's no, uh... I don't know if it's been inspiring um, speeches, but I mean, right. like just thinking back on like really successful projects, I think it's just been just a, a, an opening of opportunity mm-hmm. that allows you to see it and get excited by it, be, to be able to utilize finally a new piece, the new technology that seems like a natural fit for this particular project and you're excited about it or a new technique or it's something it's something that you can do that's different and new and bring it to the client or bring it to the project, you know, whatever the creative endeavor might be that excites you, you mm-hmm. know, and it's, I think it's just, for me, it's been more about myself seeing the opportunity than someone giving some inspiring speech or a pep talk or trying to rally me. But then as a leader, right, if we're talking about creative leadership, is it your job to see that and then communicate that to the team or teammates in the right way? It also depends on the age, too. If you've got a 22-year-old that you're mm-hmm. almost mentoring, yes, then I think it's like sports again. You know, if you're if you're coaching a high school team or, you know, middle school, you've got to be educating as well as inspiring. If you're coaching a college team, then it's a lot of, you know, a, a higher level of, of education or a higher level of inspiration. And, you know, education comes down. If you're coaching the pros, you're, you're, you're just kind of working with them like a partnership. So I think in, in creative, I think if you're going to try to inspire somebody who's, you know, seasoned, so it could be a mid-level who you like. And again, this is all predicated on you respect them as creatives or else they wouldn't be working with you. But if they are, the best thing that I find is somebody who inspires me, like a Tom Nicholson when he was, you know, uh, doing Nicholson, New York, or, or Brooke and Duncan over at DDB or Tribal and, and Cedric and those guys, they were right in there with you. Like, I mean, they weren't, they weren't looking at your stuff and then, you know, doing uh, until it was review time. They were doing their own thing. And, and I know it's hard as a creative leader to dive in, but you, I had such respect because, you know, they were coming up with great ideas and you've done that, Dan and, and, and Jeff and stuff. But that's when I said, all right, because the speech is kind of, okay, I'm going to give the speech and I'm going to go, go into my meetings or walk away or whatever. But somebody who digs in and gets, you know, pulls stuff out, that always inspired me. Like, okay, they're in, they're in the trenches with us. Mm -hmm. And obviously they got, they can't do it full time, but then you feel like if they have spare time and they're doing that, well, I'm full time on this. You know, I better get my ass moving. And you're not doing it from a place of fear. You're doing it from a place of, again, the sports analogy, you know, the, the superstars diving for a basketball. Well, I better be diving right next to them. And that's what inspires me more than any word. So that's what inspires you. How do you, how, is it, is it just doing that that inspires others or are, are there other creative leadership approaches or techniques that that bring that inspiration forward. I, I again, yep. I've been on both sides of it, and and I don't remember anybody giving a speech that. I'm not saying just the speech. I'm saying other. Yeah, like you were saying, somebody diving in inspires you, right? You see somebody getting their hands dirty mm-hmm. and doing the work 
you take that as an extra inspiration. What are other ways that creative leaders make that make that work for for their their team? Well, it goes, again, it goes it, it goes back to uh, what we talked about earlier, and, and I, I want to hit on this from uh, and hit mm-hmm. this back to you guys later. But if I see someone giving shit or taking shit, but really standing up, like like we said, you know, that's not in the brief. The fact that you don't like a color, or the fact that you know you saw something in 1906 that looked like you know a similar thing, some ridiculous reason that we've all dealt with. To see your creative leader stand up to those people and and mm-hmm. and risk it a little bit, that's inspiring too. Because that's sometimes if you see somebody, it's like, oh, okay, what? It's got to be blue. Now. Oh, it's got to be red. Okay, we'll be right on that. And it's like, okay, guys, turn around, right. spend the night, and do that. And you're like, wait a minute, that you know, that's inspiring. Like for the creative leader, the risk is to go back against whoever's making what what everyone assumes is a, a fickle choice. And stands up mm-hmm. for for the teams. That's inspiring. So cause then then you feel like you got somebody has your back. So again, now when I was the creative lead, I kind of built that in when I took you know freelance instead of staff because I said, well, you know, I'm not living and dying based on this assignment, and I, I respect Jeff or Murphy or Juan Galato. Yeah, we're doing. You're doing great, man. We've like trebled our audience here. <laughs> Just you tonight. <laughs> Exactly. But I've done it enough to say, I, I respect what they did and I will fight for that. And, and like I say, to the point, you know, where I have gotten thrown out of places because I really felt that the creative was good. Jeff, what about like ways you've inspired, like you've created inspiration, not necessarily been inspired. I think one of the ways that you can do it, and I don't think it necessarily needs to be something that happens immediately before a project. I think maybe it happens well before a project. You know, this is something that, that I've done. Dan, you've done this as well and this might even be something that I've seen you you do in the past is I think it's important to have regular meetings with your creative teams and in those meetings bringing to the table things that are inspiring and share them with them and share why they're inspiring and also draw out from your creative teams what have you seen that's inspiring and bring it out and these are things that I think feed our heads with ideas they may not sync up with a project that's immediately kicking off or that's immediately in front of us but they're things that you store away or that you, you have in mind. And then when the right opportunity strikes, you've got your teams pretty well fed with some, you know, forward thinking and inspiring directions that when the, when, like I said, when the time comes, they can kind of act on it. Right. And then this is something that everybody's heard. This is something that they can take initiative on. This is something that we as a creative team have talked about. This is, you know, it's, it's a place where we can kind of play. You know, those I think are kind of interesting things. So it's not necessarily like a, a literally a pep talk or something that you do right before a project. Although sometimes there's some in, inspirational surround that you can bring to a, a kickoff. But I think it's more important to plant the seeds of, of thinking outside the box and bringing innovative and really interesting ideas to the table well before a project kicks off and sharing that with your creative teams. Yeah, it's the right atmosphere and the right environment you've, you've created. You've got yeah. like a mental swipe files almost that you start to to mutually draw from because you all it's it's a little different i mean like i have my own swipe files i'm sure dan and mark you guys have your own swipe files or your pinterest boards or wherever you might store things but i think it's interesting and different when you bring those swipe files together as a group Mm -hmm. it feels almost like okay we as a team accept this we think this is pretty cool it becomes something that usually gets traction a lot quicker or it might in or it might lead them to kind of explore those areas as groups of ideas or new technology. So what you were just saying there, Jeff, I think that's, I, I love the idea of being 
in a mutually sort of supportive creative environment. You know, you've created the groups, created, they've got, uh, you know, similarities, but I think what you have to, as a creative leader also do within that context, like you're, you're mutually aligned and you're wanting to kind of support each other. But I think what's really important is that you really encourage and almost force the idea of diversity because like-minded too much will just get you to consensus. And then you're into like this echo chamber thing and you have to, and we've seen this, you know, where people will put work up or show you work and it's just, and here it is, here's my work. And, 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 and then it's, and then they get really disappointed when you move on from it or you kill it. And I think you all, you have to have that diversity because I want somebody to defend it. I want as a creative leader, sometimes I don't see it right away, right? I like to try to be open-minded, but sometimes time and other things force you, or maybe you, you or myself has, has something in, in mind or in your head, or you've got your own prejudices. And I want, even within that like-minded environment, what that also does is it should encourage a sense of trust and safety that you can defend and you can argue and you can take a stand and you can convince me because that's what you're asking your work ultimately to do. And you have to be able to do that. So it's a, it's a sense of, of mutual creative spirit, but also mutual trust that a leader uh, engenders and allows for. You know, there's something I was, I came across in doing a little bit of, bit of prep for this. And maybe this gets to this trust thing too, and the way you sort of share things out. But there's this idea that if you as a creative leader take a creative risk, that you make it easier for others to do the same thing and good things come out of, out of risk. And does, and it's almost the idea that you're showing some vulnerability, right? You're willing to put yourself out there. Does that, does that connect with either of you? Have you shown vulnerability in some way? And succeeded as a leader. Yeah. Well, I, again, I, th- I think that 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 syncs perfectly what I, with what I was saying earlier, which is if you're diving in and throwing stuff out there, that's that's an, an inherent risk, a tendency for some creative directors to kind of stand at at you know pedestal, mm-hmm. just like show me your work, and I I'm the final arbiter of what's good and what's not. But if you put your stuff out there. And, you know, you, 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 you look like one of the gang where it's like, what do you think? And, you know, again, that's going to show vulnerability, you know, okay. I don't like my idea as much as these guys idea, you know, that kind of stuff that shows you one of the group, the other vulnerability that's again, uh, I respect from creative leaders is the vulnerability to stand up for teams when something, and even if something hasn't changed when, when the creative group all believes strongly in an idea mm-hmm. and then someone outside the group says, no, we hate that idea. And they don't give a justification other than, you know, it's not a marketing decision. It's a, it's a subjective decision by someone who's not on the team. If that creative director is now going to be vulnerable, right? Because he's going to stand up to people who may be higher than him or her, uh, or may, you know, be able to or supersede what that person says. So then it's like, okay, I respect that creative leader because he's putting him, him or herself on the line because he's standing up for us. And therefore, you know, that those two things are risk-taking by the creative leader. Yeah, having done that a few times, I never look at it as vulnerable. I just look at it as like, oh, my God, what am I getting myself into? But, <laughs> well, but, that, but you know what? That, that, I know. But that brings up another – and you, we've all seen this, and we've probably all been in this position, and we know people. I know I was in a position when I replaced somebody at, at an agency and, and um, they were moving to California and they brought me in. And Dan, I told you this story. I don't want to name agencies or whatever, but um, I knew, I knew 
the person I was replacing, we all worked with him and had a ton of respect for him. And he was a very good uh, creative director, copywriter, had a great reputation. But he was the nicest guy in the world, and he was not a confrontational guy. Mm-hmm. And he worked, he tried to, acqu- uh, not acquiesce, but tried to work with everybody and stuff like that. And so when he was leaving, I heard from eight people, you know what? He, he just didn't have enough backbone. He didn't mm-hmm. have, you know, he just went wherever, whoever yelled at him got. And I thought, well, that's crazy. You know, I mean, that's just... Yeah, his personality and stuff. And, and, and I, I honestly decided, uh, after that and after Jeff's and I, my experience with another team at another agency when I was on staff, I decided I'd rather be known as a prick and get fired than be known as somebody who just kind of went with the wind and, you know, ultimately, you know, was too nice a guy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that's a good, I think knowing that balance, I'll throw it back to you two guys because you faced it every day where I a lot of times worked on my own and you guys were more creative directors, you know, who do it every day. You know, finding that balance is brutally hard, you know, and and like you said, Dan, you know, <laughs> you, you kind of say, what the hell? Why am I arguing with this one or why am I fighting for this? You know, oh, no, no, I never I never felt that way. I mean, I always felt, you know, that I was that I was in the rights to do it, but I was doing it almost from what we said at the beginning of the episode, I was doing it to try to support the conditions for the team. And mm. so I never felt like I shouldn't do it, but I, but I'm not a, a confront. I don't feel I'm a confrontational person, but I had to take confrontational like stands, you, you mm-hmm. know, in a certain mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. to get those things happening. Mm-hmm. And that was a certain reputational thing that that would then develop. But I think it developed, in in a good way, it sort of set the stage of what I would expect, and what I would expect wasn't about me. It was what I expected for you know for a team, mm-hmm. and that's the reason I was doing it. I wasn't doing it to sort of make a lot of noise about myself. I felt I was doing it because otherwise you you just wasted our time. We came in here. You don't have a brief. You don't have this. You don't have that. You're asking us to get started. That that's nuts. We'll be back when you're ready to to treat this as seriously as this needs to be treated. Right. Uh, and that, that, so I didn't, you know, I didn't feel like I shouldn't do it or couldn't do it, but I just, it wasn't something I would naturally want to do. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you guys. I think, you know, I think one of the big, big parts is, you know, standing up for your team for what's right and, and, and how they should be treated. And I think one of the things, I mean, I'll go to the mat for is if someone's making judgment calls on, on good work and trying to, you know, throw a monkey wrench into things, but it's coming from an uninformed place or, um, you know, their own personal point of view. I mean, I'll take it into consideration with a, with a, a bit of, of, of entertaining the, the fact, but if it's flying in the wind of, you know, how the project's kicked off and what we're looking to achieve and other parameters that are in place and it's flying in the wind of that, it's not going to, you know, it's just not, I'm not going to go with the flow on it. The other, the other thing I just wanted to bring up too, one part is being honest with your teams, I think is an important thing. Cause like, you know, we're all talking about times where we've gone to the matter, we've defended our teams. And certainly that is the normal default is to go and defend your teams. But there's sometimes where you push back and you push back and, you know, there's times where you got to, sometimes you got to go with it. It might be something that has come down as a client directive, like you just need to do this. And I think there's times where, you know, you'd be honest with your teams and, transparent with them and let them know what the situation is so they can at least understand what you've done, your role in it, um, the conversations that were had, and they understand where things are went. And sometimes as professionals, there's times where we have to go in a direction that may not be our own, but, um, you know, we make the best of it. 
but we've all been in that. I mean, look, the, uh, you know, uh, we all have to say that and, and we all have done it in most of, or else we wouldn't be friends, but we all have done it. We've all stood up for things we believe in, but we've also had to just from a business point of view, accept crap sometimes um, as far as, you know, a strategy that we know is wrong and then come up with creative for that. And, and, you know, um, so finding that time, you know, where you say, all right, we're in a bad place here. I just got to go with it. That's a hard thing. I mean, I, I, you know, that's a, that's a brutal thing. And the other thing is, honestly, I think one part of being a good creative leader is knowing that you won't be there forever. And Dan, you, I mean, you, you, you joked about it, but that idea that what is a full-time job anymore? Oh, believe me, I'm not joking. No, I'm not. (laughs) But I mean, but, but I mean, that's, (laughs) we're going to hit this, you know. But but no, but, but here's the thing with that. You know, you're, you're putting it within, there, there are, there are different levels of creative leadership. And, and Mm -hmm. I think when you're creating your own thing, right, you're creating your own film. If I'm creating my own story, you're, mm-hmm. you know, Jeff, you may be working with people on music. You may be working with people on, on photography or whatever. You can, you can have a true and you can stick to that, right? You don't, then mm-hmm. you don't have to compromise, but there are situations when you're working for a client, you're working for a situation. Part of the creative leadership is then how do you maintain enthusiasm and inspiration? And then, and sometimes, you know, I've said it, you know, I've said to teams, okay, it's time to embrace the suckage, right? We got, we got a, we got a mm-hmm. situation here. Here's what we're going to do. We're just going to get past this. We're going to get mm-hmm. past this. We're going to, this one, you know, Jeff, you and I used to talk about there was like the three swing yeah. rule, right? And I don't, I don't know sports at all. So I don't know why I came up with this analogy, but, <laughs> but, you know, swing for the fences on the first try, like do the biggest, boldest thing you can. You know, the second time out, we, we try to like get on, uh, I don't know, get a double or something like that. And then the third time, just get yourself on base and just move on from there. I mean, it's, it, mm-hmm. you, you can't within certain situations continue to defend a situation or the team's energy. I think you can, there are certain things you can train an extended team that you will not compromise on. Like you were saying, mm-hmm. strategy sucks or whatever. It may be compromised, but you need to at least understand or force the issue to get to something, you know, good. And that's what the creative leadership end of it comes out to, to my mind. Let's talk a minute about uh, one thing that I've wondered about has, 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 uh, has being a creative leader gotten harder? I think it's gotten harder. You know, again, I, 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 again, we're talking about the business creative leader, obviously when you make films or, mm-hmm. you know, music and stuff, you're the creative leader and you're, you know, you're going to do what you think is right. And, and that's the end of the day. But on the business side, You've got to always have that compromise of making a living versus being true to what you were hired to do, which is to creatively lead. Has that gotten harder? It seems to me that there's more people involved that, you know, you've got what used to be an art director, writer, maybe, maybe, you know, strategist, account person. There's 15 other people involved now. There's the digital strategist. There's the UX person. There's a kind and it's all good and there's nothing wrong with it but there's 15 people in that room. How do you lead when you're not necessarily leading the entire team? And how do you build a career on that? Because the things are constantly changing. Glad to be on, you know, kind of the freelance side a lot when I see it the way it is today. But you're leading your clients. You're leading the people you take on and and they're looking to you for creative leadership. If you're making a film or or a, a website or any other sort of marketing strategy for their own thing. So mm-hmm. you're, you're still taking that on 
and they're mm-hmm. depending on you to take them to the right place. But to, to get back to your question, in my mind, you are establishing parameters. Different, a- call them agencies or companies or whatever, are going to have different identities. And then you have to decide within that context, what can you actually achieve? Like once people mm-hmm. know you and once you've sort of established sort of a reputation or at least a dialogue with people beyond the, the first couple new car smell um, type of uh, weeks or whatever it is, then you start to discover what can you do with those 15 people? You know, can you come mm-hmm. in with your point of view and again, protect your team, protect your corner, have a position on it, or are you in service to something else entirely? I've been in different agencies where I haven't been the creative leader and I've watched how people operate and they're more, I guess, enthralled to other disciplines, right? We've all heard about an agency or company that might be more account driven or such. Uh, And then you have to wonder, well, who's making these decisions on certain things, but I I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's harder. I think it just depends on where you're, I guess it depends on where you're at and what the situation is. Some situations will be very much all under the, the thrall of a, you know, sort of a strategist or, a, or an account person, or it might be a creative leader who just wants to make every decision himself, right? Mm-hmm. It's the micromanaging mm-hmm. point of not even the latitude. You guys were on colors before. I don't know why pinks and blues and, you know, but like, mm-hmm. you know, it might be, that's not the right shade of Cerulean. You know, it needs to be whatever Pantone, you know, <laughs> such and such. It's like, Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, is that really, man, maybe it does make a difference. Maybe, right. maybe that shifts the whole balance. I don't right. think it does. I think you want to yeah. give people a certain level of space to run so that they can do something that you cannot because that may really surprise the heck out of you. Maybe it doesn't, right. then you have to pull it back in. My point of view, I don't think, I'm not sure that creative leadership's gotten a lot more difficult. I think there's a lot more angles and certainly a wider range of tactics, especially in the digital space. But I think as a creative leader, you shouldn't be thinking about things like, you know, necessarily is like you're directing things so much in a a vastly different way in different channels. It's, it comes back to like kind of the basics is like, you know, approaching everything, you know, being informed as to what it is that you're doing, whether it's a a brand campaign or a banner ad or Mm -hmm. tactic or social media posts or whatever it is that you're doing. If you're informed and you've got the right parameters, uh, you should be able to lead and, and, and be an effective creative director. So I want to hit on something, Dan. I want to jump on your next question because I've been dying to ask about this or even touch base on this. Mm-hmm. Ego. Ego. You know, we all look at somebody else's work and say, oh, man, what's that and stuff like that. And how do you how do you control your ego? And, and I'm not saying you have to just shut off your ego because you have to always, as a creative leader, you also have to protect yourself. And you mm-hmm. have to make sure that people know that you're running the show and uh, or, or leading the team and stuff like that. But it's a hard challenge to, to, to say, right, I don't necessarily see it, but you know, that I'm going to have to accept this. And we've all seen where it goes out of control. And so how do you on a day to day basis pull your ego out to make what you think is a right decision, but still have enough of a presence amongst other people that you're not walked on? How do you, do you guys ever wrestle with that? You're saying how do you keep your ego in check or how do you how do you have an ego? In check, yeah. Yeah. I, I have a bigger problem having an ego, I think, sometimes. I had somebody give me some advice, you know, recently, which I, I've taken to heart, which uh 
I'm not going to name drop, you know, to try to put it in there. But, you know, his advice to me was I need to both up my ego and stop coasting on competency, uh, you know, in the sense of, of trying to not just get by on doing a good job, but actually sometimes you need that swagger. Uh, that's right. not where I've often come from. I don't feel like that was what I was surrounded by uh, in the way I like to think about work or the way maybe I was brought up. I think your work is supposed to speak for itself and that that will hopefully then be recognized or, but that's not the case. You do Mm -hmm. need to kind of add some swagger and some solidity because other people are looking for that. And there, there are probably untrustworthy people in your circle, as unfortunate as that may be, who are looking for chinks in that armor as well to either Mm -hmm. get themselves in there or maybe even take you down uh, directly Mm -hmm. um, in a very conscious way or maybe uh, indirectly because it's it's they just want to make a you know a play for it. So I think more than anything it's important that you maybe unfetter that ego a little bit and mm-hmm. let it lead you and that if you can say with some seriousness that you are a serious person that mm-hmm. you have an understanding of what you're trying to achieve and maybe you have an ethical core to what you're doing that it's okay if that ego runs a little bit because it's going to get the project and the people who are working on it to a better place, not necessarily just driving your your thing there. I, I've right. used this line for years and I, I think it's great um, because, of course, I came up with it and I have a huge <laughs> ego. If you like what you're about to see, thank the team who worked on it. And if you don't like it, blame me, right? That's, that's as big as my ego is going to get on that form. Right, right. There's a balance here. Um, you know, when you're working with teams, you got to recognize and have a little bit of empathy just to recognize that Solving creative problems on a daily basis is not an easy thing. And you need to understand that your teams are doing that day in and day out. I think that's one part of it, just to be aware of that. I think the second part of it, you know, and I don't know if this is necessarily ego, but you're a creative director. You're bringing to the table years of experience that others on your team may not have. And you've seen and experienced things that they may not have experienced. You're bringing that expertise to the table. And if you see something that isn't working, that isn't right, you Mm. fully have license to stand your ground and say, this isn't working, we need to move on, or this isn't working, and here's why, and here's how we change it, we change direction, or whatever it might be. Um, I don't think that's ego. I think that's there's two parts of it. It's the understanding of it, but at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, you're the one that has the experience. You're the one that's there, not because you got put there because you're the golden child. It's you're there because you've seen a lot of things and you have the experience to make these kind of calls. I, I laugh, you know, a little bit, not at what you're saying, because it's true. But, you know, there is a point in time, though, which you shift into whatever that role is of creative leadership. I mean, I remember when I was promoted to a creative director, which was a little bit unexpected at the time it happened. And suddenly I was lording it over, <laughs> you know, people who I was working shoulder to shoulder with literally the day before. So you right. then have to bring that, that, right. And then, so it's not necessarily, oh, I suddenly have so much more experience than you. Now it's just, I happen to have a different position than you. And, and I have to bring some points of view and I have to move things forward. Yeah. And, and Dan, I mean, that's a different, that's a different experience. And I honestly can say I've never been in that experience in my career, but I think that's a different point of view. That's a certain like brings a different element to the table where you have to control a situation to a certain degree to be successful. Mm-hmm. Stepping into a role in the same place and you have to set up. And again, this is not necessarily an ego thing. It's more setting up parameters and boundaries as to like, you know, where are things? Where do I stand? What's the pecking order? And you have to make it clear with the people that you're working with because the, the, the situation has changed. 
there are some people that, that manage that situation with ego and verbose and puffing of their feathers. And I, I've seen it before. I'm not a big believer in it. And it's, and, and everybody sees through it, it comes as comes through as kind of dishonest. And so I got, I got a funny story about, about ego and, and, you know, having to show swagger. I was a, a freelancing at Ogilvy and um, then I got an assignment at TBWA and it was um, uh, Chai at TBWA Chai. So it was general account. And um, one of the first assignments, I was with this hot creative director team and I was the writer that they brought in. And one of the, uh, the first assignments was that I had to look at a website that they had just won from Ogilvy. And it was, uh, I think it was Tafsimo, one of those coffee things. And my job was to critique the existing site and where it needed to be better. So you know what you have to do. You have to rip the shit out of the work that was done prior, right? Mm -hmm. Now, so I'm got to show the swag. I was like, well, this writer obviously didn't know, you know, was too verbose and didn't, you know, cover all the points. And, you know, there was no direction, no leadership, ripped them a new a-hole and stuff like that. The prior writer at Ogilvy was me. I was ripping myself. <laughs> well, I least, loved it. At least you had yourself to attack. I know. It was the greatest thing because there was the assignment. They said, okay, go. Yeah, yeah it's this Tassimo site. I worked on it and with, uh, I'll name drop, but because uh, I love them, Tommy Ilya and, and Zach were the creative directors and I was writing the site. And we thought the site was great. We loved it. But the new agency had it. And their first assignment was to rip the shred so they could say how they can make it so much better. So it was the greatest thing because I had no guilt because I was ripping myself. I was like, oh, the writer knew nothing. He's just too, just wasting words here and this and that. We can do it much better here. And I laughed at Tom and Zach when I told them that story. I said, guys, I got to rip us apart here. It was- That's better than my, my end of that kind of story. Like years ago, I wrote the, uh, the cinematics, the, uh, the sort of scripted, you know, sequences for this video game called Legacy of Kane. You know, I was uh, full of myself and like going on about, you know, well, I don't know who this previous writer was and what he was trying to do. And, you know, obviously the stilted dialogue and you know, who was who was this guy as I'm talking to the, the producer. And, you know, he's like, yeah, that was me. <laughs> so always know history, you know, exactly. before, before you open your mouth. I just had a quick question for you guys. I know that we've been kind of like rolling with, um, you know, what makes us effective creative leaders and you know we've been revolving around a lot about how we deal with our teams but i was wondering if you guys had some insights or stories as to how you how you up your game as a creative leader how you yourself kind of get yourself you know some of us have been creative directors and stepped up to group creative director or executive creative director and how do how do you go about upping your own game what what are the things that you guys do dan you jump on that when you say upping your game you mean in terms of just keeping yourself creative or or I'm talking about like you as a creative leader, like what is it that you do to kind of get next level for yourself? Just refining myself and trying to re- remind myself, sometimes be a little little more self-critical of what I've done in the past. Uh, the, the worst thing is to kind of coast along on what you've on what you've done. So how do you kind of refine that edge? And sometimes I found more recently, I have to have a kind of a harder edge about things than maybe I'd like. But I think that that makes you more effective. Ultimately, mm-hmm. I've done a lot of, you know, I like that idea. What I was saying before about supporting teams, I'm not going to lose that. But I think I've sometimes let things play out too much, and sometimes, so oh, let's let's try that out. Let's 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 explore that some more. You have to kind of 
cut to the chase some more with with people or situations or or projects. And I think one of the things you know I've I've realized there is and, and you know resisting the temptation to give in to certain tendencies uh, when people you know ask you you know what do you want me to do with something that's something I learned the hard way. Sometimes I would give a lot of thoughts and instruction and creative leadership around mm-hmm. what they should do, but ultimately that's, it's not my job to then give them the roadmap. It's my job to give them the conditions mm-hmm. to explore it out the right way, because that's only going to become a very prescriptive situation. And ultimately, if there's a team or people that ask that question too many times, you have to really consider, are they the right people? And then maybe you need to kind of give into the temptation, not to answer the question, but give into the temptation to kind of get rid of those people. Because that's part of creative leadership too, is how do you refine the group in the right way? Some people can be made better. Some people cannot. And that's a tough thing to realize, but those are things I have to get better in that role. I ask a lot. Again, more recently with films, you know, with with diverse casts and, and young crew and stuff like that. I, I, I genuinely, if somebody, especially with a film, if somebody's working on a film, I genuinely genuinely have such respect that's like nine out of 99 percent of people i've worked with i'm blown away by so i'll ask actors what do you think what you know where where do you want to go with this or or, you know what would you bring if you just you know first time and and the other good thing in my business is youth is is is, you know kids have grown up with so much technology so if a kid's been shooting films since he was 10 there's this young guy who's now in college I've worked with and, you know, Dan, you know, yep. I want, I, I, I run every angle on every shot by him. And on this last film, cause I was acting in it, it was wonderful. Cause I, you know, I just kind of said, I want to get overhead shots. I want these shots. And then you run with it. I just watched him with a camera and I was blown away. So I genuinely just ask, like, you know, just kind of like, Hey, you know, kind of a what if kind of thing. And I'm amazed at what I learned. So one piece of creative leadership advice is to kind of let your mind wander, uh, explore different things. You need new inspiration to kind of get to the the new things. So for this idea of innovation, where did each of us maybe fuel up a little bit this week? Mark, what did you find that kind of got you going? Well, I I cheated because I I knew the topic (laughs) and I wanted to find something that has been kind of a, a... uh, a great inspiration that I had seen in the past, and it's just a blast to watch anyway. Um, Ricky Gervais mm-hmm. had interviewed Larry David, and it was one of a series. It was after he had done Extras, which is like one of these underrated, amazing shows of his. And he, you can see it. I, I, I have the initial link on our spreadsheet. What I loved was, you know, there was a ton of, you know, kind of behind the scenes of what it's like to, you know, run these shows. But the great, great part that I love from a creative leadership point was they're on the two sides of the spectrum. And there's others that I'll mention. But one, Ricky Gervais, was asking Larry David. And Ricky Gervais is a guy who writes every word, every pause, every uh, nuance in his script and wants that followed. Mm-hmm. Larry David in his show will say, okay, the premise is we're going into this restaurant and we're going to talk about the air conditioning. Right. Let's go. And so there's so much he's working with Richard Lewis or whoever, and they're just having fun, but they know they have to get the lines out. But what comes out is totally free. And Ricky Gervais 
Now, Ricky Gervais comes from the school of like David Mamet or, or other directors who like everything is like, you know, down to a T. And Larry David is comes from the Woody Allen school where a lot of that happens, where you get that spontaneity. So there's no, you know, so again, from a creative leadership, two different approaches, but both get such amazing results. And I just fascinated to hear, I mean, you just laugh your ass off anyway, but that, that part of it, I'm still fascinated with. So this isn't so much about creative leadership as just sort of fueled me up and inspiration. I found it, I found it serendipity, which I love is a great word. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. and I, I actually tried to download this book about uh, called how to change your mind by this guy, Michael uh, Pollan. And it's, it's all about uh, the use of LSD. It's all about like using it to sort of like expand your mind. Now for the life of me, I could not get this thing to download. Like it just would not happen, would not happen. And I, so just by happenstance had another book on my, uh, my phone called the five invitations by this guy uh, called Frank Oz And I had kind of downloaded it, and, but hadn't really felt like it was something I wanted to kind of get into. And he is a hospice worker and is much more as a uh, sort of a, a disciple of like Buddhism and Zen, but his, his big thing is a, is as a hospice worker. And the five invitations are essentially five invitations uh, from death and the things that you, you know, need to accept along the lines of, you know, don't wait and, and, uh, and being more mindful about what happens at the end of life. And he relates a lot of life stories that he's learned from people at the end of their life, which sounds incredibly depressing, but instead I'm finding it exceptionally inspirational because it is all about this change and is all about this, this sense of, of acceptance and, and really mindfulness. So to my mind, it was going for one thing <laughs> in terms of expanding the mind and then finding something else in the form of this book that I'm still in the midst of that has really kind of gotten me jazzed up. I'm still going to go for the LSD ultimately, don't get me <laughs> wrong. But at the moment, this is a pretty terrific listen. Jeff. So I'm starting, I'm, I've been reading this book called Hey Whipple, Squeeze This, and I still have not gotten to the meaning of <laughs> Hey Whipple, Mister Mister Whipple, right? The uh, the Charmins, right? Yep, it's written by this guy Luke Sullivan, and it's it's really cool. It's a, it's a book about advertising, classic advertising, and about what what it takes to make great ideas. A lot of what we've been talking about today, and this just gets to I think I seek this out just to get different angles and how people approach things because I think you know through the years I've learned a great deal from working with creative directors and seeing things that worked really well and adapting them and things that didn't work so great and avoiding them. And, you know, I think this guy's got a proven track record. So I wanted to see if there's things that he's done that um, might be worthwhile in, uh, in, in checking out and, and adapting. Do you read nice. or do you, do you listen to the books? What do you, how do you get it? That's what I'm reading. Yeah. A lot of times I listen so I can kind of multitask. I'll listen to a book a lot of times in the car if I'm getting around and driving or whatever. Awesome. All right. Well, folks, that is our show. Join in with questions or suggested themes. Send us your words or audio to nocureforcuriosity.podcast at gmail.com. Next up is safe career suicide, and we will catch you then. 